on this episode of The Kinked Wire. I went to my legislative council and said, listen, I need to make an adjustment to the original bill. I think it's important that if we're going to take this step to provide women with an opportunity to look at choices that would be best for her and for her quality of life, that this be included as well. Welcome to The Kink Wire, the interventional radiology podcast from SIR Publications. You can learn more at our website, surweb.org slash kinkedwire. In July 2022, Rhode Island passed into law a bill directing insurance companies to pay for uterine artery embolization in the treatment of fibroids. In this episode of The Kink Wire, host Dr. Warren Krakoff speaks with Rhode Island State Representative Camille Vela Wilkinson about why she worked to add UAE to the bill, why the topic is so important, and how she learned about interventional radiology in the first place. Great. This is wonderful. We're very fortunate to have Camille Vela Wilkinson here from Rhode Island State House, actually. And uh, fun fact, I, I lived in Rhode Island for a time uh, in, in Providence. But uh, we're here to, to talk about something that I think is really interesting that you were instrumental in, Camille, in, in the Rhode Island House um, and, and eventually, obviously, passing through the Senate there and, and getting signed into law was Rhode Island Bill H7561, which has to do with more than just uterine fibroid embolization for sure, but our more narrow scope sort of brings it into focus for us. And I definitely want to talk to you about it. But first, I, I think you've just got the coolest background that, you know, you, you were in the Navy, um, you, you've done a lot of work in HR, obviously, the, the work you're doing in public service, I find really interesting. How did you get interested in this issue uh, with respect to women's health? It actually started a number of years ago. My oldest sister had a problem with uh, fibroids. And she, at that time, was forced into having a partial hysterectomy. And the interesting thing about it was that before they performed it, they had to get her husband's permission because she would not be able to have any more children. She was living in Florida at the time. The doctor asked her, he explained to her what the problem was that she was going through and said that he recommended a partial hysterectomy and he wanted to know how he could reach her husband. Unbelievable. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's, it's going, that's going back a number of decades. But as a member of the House of Representatives, I became interested in it because the women in the house, whenever they spoke about women's health care, the only thing they ever discussed was abortions. Mm. And I thought there's so many more issues that women have to deal with. So I started looking at scholarly articles with regards to women's gynecological health. And there were two bills that I wrote at the same time. One bill was a birth control accessibility bill, which would expand the roles of pharmacists as healthcare providers. I found out that in Rhode Island, no woman lives more than five miles away from a pharmacy. Mm. And if the women in the house were so singularly focused on abortion as healthcare, I wanted to try to think of why, what was going on. And of course, the number one reason for abortion is unplanned pregnancies. So from there, I I leapt to the issue of birth control accessibility. And then while I was looking at gynecological health, 
I recalled what my sister had gone through right. in her early 40s with regards to the fibroids. And I started to read about what, if anything, had been done to change things for women that were experiencing problems with uterine fibroids. That experience with your sister sounds like it really helped frame your view on, on these alternative, or I guess at the time, alternative approaches. Yes. I was reading a little bit about the bill, and you'll, you'll have to certainly forgive me, and I don't know, possibly some of our, our listenership as well, uh, because I don't have the in-depth knowledge of particularly state legislature, you know, how, how they work. But I was very impressed that it seemed to me that the time frame for this, you, I, it looked like you introduced the bill in February, and by June it had been signed. Is that yes. normal? <laughs> Yes. No, that, that's that's not normal. But initially, I introduced it the prior year. Oh, okay. And it went into the House, but it never had a hearing in the Senate. And so I was pushing with my co-signers to get a hearing in the Senate this year. Because the other thing, of course, is that the issue of fibroids has a greater negative impact on women of color and uh, Caribbean women. And so my co-signer is from Panama. And oh. so we wanted to do something. We did the doula bill the year before, and we wanted to continue by doing things for women of color in the area of healthcare. That's great because there, there's so much need for inclusivity, and that's terrific that, that you're able to do that. Is, am I able to read into the speed? And, and the other thing I, I should have mentioned as well is it, it seemed like almost almost 100% support in both houses, from what I could tell anyway. Does that mean that, you know, there is some real broad-based support for this? Is, or, or am I looking too deeply into that? No, I don't think you're looking too deeply into that, Warren. But I will say that the Speaker of the House, at least in the state of Rhode Island, is probably the most powerful legislative person that we have in the General Assembly. And women's health care is something that is especially of interest to him, of particular interest. And he did some work around uh, coverage for mastectomies okay. during the time that he was the, the uh, leader prior to taking over as a Speaker of the House. So when you have leadership at the highest level that has a, a peaked interest, things move rather quickly. If you don't have the interest of senior leadership, government moves at a glacial pace. That's really good to know. And I think it's fantastic that people like you and your co-sponsors made them aware in, in such a way that this could move forward. You mentioned something about having sponsored it the previous year, that there, there was an earlier version of this, though, that didn't necessarily include uterine fibroid embolization itself. Is that accurate? That is correct. And then I had an opportunity to share some information that was provided to me by Judy Buckaloo, who's mm -hmm. the Director of Government Affairs, of course, at SIR. And she said to me, Camille, I think that you're going to find this of interest. And as soon as I read it, I went to my legislative council and said, listen, I need to make an adjustment to the original bill because this is something that I definitely want included. I think it's important that if we're going to take this step to provide women with an opportunity to look at choices that would be best for her and for her quality of life, that this be included as well. That's really interesting that, that you know, it took that direction and that SIR got involved on that level. And I think were you in touch with John Littman at one point and, and I was. And in mm -hmm. fact, Dr. Lipman came up at the bill signing ceremony and had an opportunity to speak with Governor McKee. 
Oh, great. Governor McKee, how important the legislation was. Did other societies, professional societies become involved as well from, you know, their perspective in terms of like laparoscopic types of procedures and things like that? Not the formal societies, but the uh, Brown Medical School. I had quite a number of the students and faculty who at one point or another had reached out and said that they were extremely interested to see that we were doing something at this level of detail. Policy has a tendency of having more of the broad strokes as opposed to getting, and I don't mean this disrespectfully, but getting in the weeds on something that's so detailed. So they were very happy to see that change. No, I don't, I don't think it's disrespectful at all. In fact, I think that's some of the currents that we as interventional radiologists swim against that we are kind of in the weeds uh, in, in, in a way. And I mean, what we do, people don't necessarily know about us specifically, and certainly the option of uterine fibroid embolization, for example, you know, we can imagine that some of that could therefore be lost. So had you heard about it before? I'm just curious. I had heard about interventional radiology, not with regards to um, uterine fibroids, right? but I, I had heard about it. And as I said, when Judy provided the first article, I just went online and read everything that I could about it. I just found it fascinating. That's really terrific. And, and, you know, that you were motivated to do that. And, and, and obviously the help from SIR really seems to have dovetailed well to, to get this bill forward. You know, we've been mentioning a few times how certain things may be specific to Rhode Island itself. What do you see in terms of this kind of action occurring in other states? I think that Rhode Island can prove to be an example for other states to follow, quite frankly. And there's two organizations, one which is called the Council of State Governments, and the other one is the National Council of State Legislators. I think those two organizations would be key in SIR getting its message out so that other states could look at the issues. Both Council of State Governments and NCSL do provide white papers to state legislators talking about various issues right across the spectrum. And it's a great place for legislators to get raw information and statistics or to be connected to national organizations such as SIR that would be able to help with the writing of model legislation or even with press releases to do outreach and education to the general public. That's wonderful. I I wonder too, um, is there anything for the average interventional radiologist on the street that he or she can do in terms of contacting someone like you in, in their own state? You know, is there a pathway for that as well? That's a great question, Warren. What I would suggest is if any of the interventional radiologists want to become more involved in public policy, they could start out with the legislators that represent them at their respective state houses. So either through the House of Representatives or through their state Senate. And they can start off even by asking if they would be willing to initiate a resolution that would recognize, for instance, July as being uterine fibroid month in Uh the state. Now, most of the states that have part-time legislators, such as Rhode Island, end by the end of June. However, you still have the opportunity to educate people through announcements and resolutions at the State House with regards to what's happening in July. 
And then, of course, the full-time legislators would be there anyway. So, you know, you could start off with the state resolution recognizing the month and then seeing what they could do about providing press releases or informational Mm. seminars at their respective state houses. They could see who they have that's a local interventional radiologist that might be willing to go into, say, the law library or Mm. a common area at the state house and do a series or do a singular lecture and invite the public. Because I think the more we do outreach, especially to some of the younger people in the, at, at colleges, so before they need an interventional radiologist, they've mm-hmm. got a good foundation of what he or she could do for them to improve their health. Yeah, it's terrific that you're sharing that knowledge with us. And and I think really good for everybody in the state of Rhode Island. I mean, am I right that it actually takes effect as a law in January? Yes, sir. It sure does. Wow. So again, I mean, you know, at least from the time that the final bill was introduced less than a year, again, to me, not, you know, being being a real novice in terms of politics, that amazes me. And particularly when you hear about gridlock and, and you know, everything, everybody fighting that I, I, I just think that's very impressive. Well, I have to tell you, I mean, I was lucky enough to have the time to do the research on an area that was of interest to me. But quite frankly, all the legislators would agree, you don't do anything by yourself. I mean, I'm only Mm. one vote. So Mm. in order to get something passed, I need not only the advocacy of those people who were additional sponsors to go to leadership and advocate but also to create a buzz and to make sure that people understood how important this was. That's a message that I think some of us in interventional radiology deal with as well, you know, in terms of hospital politics and committees and things like that. You know, if you want to make a change, even at the the smaller sort of hospital level, you've got to do the same thing. You've got to get people on on your side and, and so on and so forth. As we start to finish off, and again, I, I really appreciate the sort of peek behind the scenes here at, at, at how how things work. We ask uh, really everyone who comes on this next question. You've got such an interesting, varied background. So I think you may have a really kind of interesting answer to this question, which is, if you weren't doing what you're doing now, what would you be doing instead and, and why? Well, if I wasn't an elected official... I'd be working at a not-for-profit to do advocacy for veterans, Mm. especially in the area of PTSD and military sexual trauma of female veterans. Is that something you worked on when you were in the Navy? I did. I absolutely did. When I was in the Navy, one of the things that I did was I was a legal assistance officer, not a JAG. But I used to do the preliminary investigations when there were violations of the Uniform Code of Military Justice. And I was also the head of the EO program. So Uh if there was a complaint of sexual harassment or any other type of harassment, I'd be the first step to do the interviews and do the investigation. I followed that up when I was in the civilian sector as a member of the Rhode Island Commission for Human Rights as well. And I was a hearing officer for the state in in that capacity. But there is a sharp rise in the number of female veterans who are committing suicide. Mm. And they are seeing a correlation between PTSD caused by military sexual trauma and suicide of women who uh, were in uniform. So that's an area that I have a, a keen level of interest in. You know, I have to say, again, you know, some of us, I think we get 
I don't know, sort of tunnel vision. Um, and it's really important to hear about things like this. You know, I, I didn't know that. And um, it, I think it's, it's fantastic to bring to light a lot of these issues that, you know, can, as, as I guess, the experience that you had in, in pushing this bill through, you know, you can get more people on board if people know about it. And um, sounds like no matter what, you'll be helping people and, and serving the country as, as you've already done. I'd really like to thank you very much, and uh, this has really been an interesting talk. Warren, I appreciate you giving me the opportunity to share the information with others. And uh, again, I can't thank the Society of Interventional Radiology enough for putting me on this path and expanding my view with regards to fibroids to other forms of treatment. So without them partnering with me or actually mentoring me, and, and I say that openly, without their ability to mentor me, the bill would not have gone in the direction that it did. So I ask, sir, to keep up their good work in terms of reaching out to legislators. That was Rhode Island Representative Camille Vela Wilkinson speaking with Dr. Warren Krakoff about how interventional radiologists can help educate legislators on the efficacy of IR treatments. We thank Representative Vela Wilkinson and Dr. Krakoff for their time. Drs. Teresa Caridi and John Lippman for participating in the bill signing ceremony, and you for listening to The King's Wire. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you have any thoughts or ideas for us, drop us a line at kingswire at surweb.org.